millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast here in the Irish Examiner. And just want to wish everybody a happy new year and... Um, Let's hope we can hit the ground running on this one and that it's going to be a good one, as they say. Now, you might remember, just before Christmas, the COP28 summit in Dubai took place. Uh, And of course, that was around plans to tackle climate change. But at the very end of that summit, there was a declaration that didn't receive much attention, but most definitely should in this country. Wild Atlantic salmon were declared an endangered species in the UK. No, it hasn't officially been declared that here yet, but by all accounts, we're getting there. And this is the latest alarm bell to ring about the plight of wild salmon. And remember, apart from anything else, Ireland is one of the most favoured destinations for salmon fishing in Europe. We have a long history with this fish in the country, going all the way back to myths about the salmon and knowledge and what have you. But one thing we certainly could do is acquiring some knowledge on how serious this situation is and what it will mean going into the future. For instance, even towards early last year, uh, the Ear to the Ground programme, excellent programme there on RTE television, it was reported on that that unless we can implement a conservation programme, we could be looking at a situation where we will have little or no salmon left in Ireland. So to discuss this about how we got here and where we're going, I'm joined by John Murphy, who's the chair of Salmon Watch Ireland. John, you're very welcome. Thanks very much, Mick. John, as I said, it's quite obvious we've had a depletion of salmon stocks and that how far back would you trace that or when did things start going bad in that regard? Well, I suppose history would dictate that the uh, salmon stocks in the 1970s were probably at their highest in and around mid-70s, uh, there was probably in the region of one and a half to two million salmon coming back to the Irish coastline. That, unfortunately, has dwindled down to somewhere between 150 and 200,000 fish. During the 1970s, uh, of course, the uh, great drift net fishery, as it was called, um, commenced in Ireland. Uh, in the early 70s, actually, it commenced, and they were taking up to a million fish at the time, which was completely unsustainable. But that kept going for years and years. And uh, the stock started to decline, probably not for the reason of overfishing, but but various other factors that were were coming into play. This organisation, ourselves, and Maj Ireland, was founded in uh, 2004. And uh, we went under the banner of Stop Salmon Drift Nets. Now was our original banner, and uh, we successfully went to the European Union and uh, under the Habitats Directive, um, we looked at various situations around the country here and indeed people in the UK did a similar thing. And uh, the indiscriminate netting of salmon off the coast was discontinued by government order in 2000, at the end of 2006. 
And that was because of pressure from the European community. And the reason it was discontinued was that there were various rivers which uh, had salmon as a qualifying interest in their uh, conservation objectives in various uh, special areas of conservation. And as such, uh, the indiscriminate catching of salmon at sea, you couldn't actually verify where those salmon were going. They could have been going to rivers that were had special protection for salmon and were not meeting their conservation limit in those rivers. So the government decided under pressure from the EU to stop this fishery. So that brought about uh, a situation where we started to manage our rivers on a river-by-river basis. And unfortunately, even with the uh, elimination of the drift net fishery, uh, the stocks have continued uh, to decline and indeed in the last decade have really started a downward trend. And just touching on the drift net, and just for, for those among listeners who would not be very accustomed to fishing, when you say drift net, that's literally throwing your nets in and drifting along and whatever you come across, catching it up in the nets. Yeah, basically there were uh, drift nets, there were floating nets, uh, they were down to a various depth and uh, they were accompanied by obviously a half decker. Like it was a great business. A lot of people got very, very wealthy out of catching Atlantic salmon. But the fishermen themselves, you know, when we spoke to them back in 2004, 2005, I think they really knew that the writing was on the wall, that uh, salmon stocks had uh, continued to decline. Their catches, you know, especially down here in Kerry, where I am, would have been phenomenal during the 70s and even up to the mid 80s. Uh, but they told us really that, you know, their catches had dwindled away to very, very small, limited numbers at limited times of the year. And indeed that the salmon had uh, got a lot smaller, a lot less valuable to sell. And uh, even some of the drift net men were having to uh, reduce their net sizes, uh, the mesh size, basically to catch the few salmon that were remaining which was an illegal practice at the time. But that just shows you that, you know, the fish started to uh, get really, really small and they were able to get through the various meshes that had been in evidence during the 1970s. So kind of they knew the the writing was on the wall. They probably shouldn't have been blamed, you know, as some people had blamed them for the demise, but there's many, many other factors that have led to the situation that we're in today. Okay, just before moving off that then, as you say, it was discontinued uh, in, in the mid-80s, as we call it. Is there any indication that it, it was continued illegally or was there much policing of it? Or did it, dis- did it stop becoming a major factor at that point? Yeah, um, there is plenty of evidence that, uh, you know, illegal fisheries do still continue off the coast. But they're very, very small scale. When we want to put it into a factor the scale of the actual official drift net fishery, there was probably twelve to 1,500 licenses issued annually. And uh, these would have had nets 800 metres to a kilometre, uh, you know, in length. So that just puts it into perspective. Like if you had a few people after the cessation of this, and of course there was a hardship fund given to the salmon fishermen, which equated to their catches. So some people did continue, absolutely. Some people didn't take the buyout 
the policing of the uh, salmon fishery has become probably less than it was when the legal drift net fishery was there. But uh, it is interesting to note one of the few places in Ireland where they can actually examine all the fish coming back into a river is up in Burishul County, Mayo. And they were able to examine every single fish during the drift net fishery coming back into that system. And probably 90 to 95% of them had net marks on them. Since the cessation of drift netting, that's gone down to about 3 to 4%. So obviously there isn't a big effort at sea or near coastal region to uh, net salmon. That is very interesting. And the scale you mentioned there, that really brings it home. That twelve to 1,500 licences and nets that size, God, you can see how it would, well, not not, not being, um, being a pun about it, but you can see it would put a major hole in the stocks in terms of when you, when you have that activity going on. Okay, so that ended then, John, and in theory, at that point, Perhaps it should have led or there would have been a good chance that we might see the regeneration of stocks, but that obviously didn't happen. No. The fishery in 2006, the drift net fishery in 2006, officially caught in the region of 70,000 fish. But if you add in the probable illegal fishery, it's probably in around 100,000 fish. So effectively, that should have meant that 100,000 more fish would get into rivers in Ireland, obviously. Uh, but certainly uh, there were some of those fish going to the south coast of the UK, down to France and Spain, which had some some salmon stocks at that, at that stage. In 2007, there was quite a number of fish came back into the systems. You know, did it rise by 30 40%? It probably did in 2007. But 2008 and 9 saw a massive decline, especially 2009. And it really hasn't recovered since then. You get odd, reasonably good years. Uh, the last one being 2020, coincidentally during COVID, uh, when uh, stocks seem to recover uh, substantially in certain countries. Would there have been any connection there with lockdown or anything? Like there's a lot of conspiracy theories about it, that uh, maybe there were not as many ships at sea, or that the fish were not being intercepted on their feeding grounds or whatever. Uh, but there's no real evidence to say that there is a direct illegal fishery at sea. One other thing that, you know, might might uh, suggest that conspiracy theory maybe maybe that these fish were being caught illegally in other years when uh, the COVID restrictions weren't there uh, would be that the salmon that came back in 2020 were generally much heavier and in much better condition than salmon had been for a long number of years. Uh, they were, you know, on the River Moy in County Mayo, the salmon were probably on average two to two, two to two and a half pounds heavier than they had been in previous years. So maybe there was just a, a situation which coincided that uh, conditions at sea and feeding conditions at sea were, were quite good in, in that year or the previous year. So then we have the other factors that came into play. And you, sorry, you mentioned uh, 2009 and thereabouts. Was there anything specific there or was that the beginning of a kind of a trend? I mean, I know there, farming, I know, for instance, is a major issue. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a very, very significant trend since 2008. And if you look at the counter figures for Ireland, there is a trend, a downward trend since 2008 and a quite stark downward trend. 
Look, there's loads and loads of factors. Um, obviously, you're you're referring there to fish farming. Uh, fish farming does cause an awful lot of problems. And one of one of the you know one of the issues that we we see here really is that the state is licensing an activity which can be harmful to salmon juveniles going to sea. That's it within our control. There's an awful lot of factors uh, affecting salmon in the high seas and indeed in rivers, which are completely outside our own control. So it's, you know, it's one of our big bugbears, really, that, you know, you shouldn't really be licensing something which is going to uh, kill a lot of your juvenile salmon going to sea. In studies carried out in the uh, Kittery Harbour area, in the Arif and whatever, you can get up to 39% of the smolts dying by, by virtue of the fact that they have to pass salmon farms. So... You know, that's that's a lot of fish taken out before they get out to the ocean and have to contend with all the How other How does that factors. work, John? What is the issue around that specifically? Well, Just the issue around salmon farming uh, has sort of looked upon uh, sea lice as, as probably one of the biggest issues. Uh, sea lice are a naturally occurring parasite on salmonids. But when you get, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand fish Stuck in a in a, an open net cage farm, of course they're going to br- uh, bring up the background level of uh, sea lice infestation, and in, you know, on wild salmon it's going to see. The wild salmon it's going to see are only, you know, seven eight inches long. Uh, if they get infested with fifteen twenty larval lice that land on them, you know, they're going to have difficulty. They're more open to predation. They get disease, they get infections, whatever, they die. So their mortality is quite high in these areas. And is that a business that has expanded hugely in the last 15 years? No, this hasn't expanded in Ireland. It has it has expanded everywhere else. But uh, that's due to um, factors, I suppose, uh, we can take some some credence out of that because we we probably along with other uh, non-government organizations have really used european law to thwart the expansion of, of this industry and just putting you into the frame of this back in 2006 again uh, the european union came along and looked at aquaculture in ireland and basically told the irish government that they weren't licensing these things in um you know, uh, alongside the Habitats Directive that they weren't complying with the Habitats Directive. So basically the EU came along and said, all right, while you get your ducks in a row uh, in regard to conservation objectives in the marine area and in rivers and various places like that, uh, we're going to allow you introduce legislation which will allow salmon farmers to continue and to renew their licenses once they've asked for a renewal until you get all these things uh, that are required by the Habitats Directive and the Birds Directive to be in place. Unfortunately, what are we now, 2006, uh, 17 years later, they still haven't uh, complied with these. And that that formed the basis for our complaint in 2020 about the specific Irish legislation that it was outside the terms of the Habitats Directive. And that is currently being pursued by the European Union. Can I just stop you there, just to get that correct, John? 
like a lot of other things to do with Europe, effectively in terms of uh, salmon farming, they were given a little leeway in order to so get your house in order, so to speak, in order to comply with everything. And you're saying that now, 17 years later, and right up to 2020, which would have been about 13, 14 years later, this just was not done. No, no, there were, there were, as the man says, they were working on it. <laughs> Um, but um, it allowed the, the fish farming industry uh, to continue uh, by a temporary legislation was introduced that was supposed to be on a temporary basis, but 17 years later it hasn't changed. Now, I think with our complaint to the EU is probably coming to a culmination now that um, it will either go one or two ways uh, that the Ireland will have to comply with the Habitats Directive, which which will be problematic for the uh, salmon farming industry in this country. But um, they may ignore it and they may try to continue, uh, like other things. Uh, it really takes uh, an opinion from the European courts to get any action uh, on any of these uh, factors. And I think, you know, the EU would... Would, would suggest that there is little, if any, cooperation from certain departments within within the um, Irish state uh, with them, especially over environmental matters. And, you know, we've seen that over the years. So, you know, we're hopeful that we'll get a culmination to that maybe in 2024 and we'll see some, some progress. But... Is the scenario so, like, they haven't proliferated in terms of that there's been a huge increase in the number of uh, fish farms, but are you saying it's the conditions under which they operate mean, and operating outside the Habitats Directive means that it's even greater harm to salmon than would otherwise be the case? Well, we would be completely and utterly against uh, the salmon farming industry in this country and and in other, (laughs) obviously, international countries. Uh, Salmon are farmed in a particular way here. They're farmed in the ocean for a start. Secondly, they're farmed in open cage technology, which basically means they're in a a net cage, if you want to call it that, which is open to the environment. Uh, And that has its own problems because uh, any infections they get or any pests that uh, arrive on them, they proliferate, or any diseases that arrive on them proliferate and goes out into the wider environment. Now, our main issue would be their effect on uh, wild salmonids, especially salmon and sea trout. But there are other issues. There are other issues with um, pollution of uh, waters by nitrogen, etc. So, you know, there are many, many issues. But our problem is there are alternatives to this. There are uh, close technology or close containment technology which can be used. Uh, we would prefer to see this put on land. Uh, we do understand that agriculture is required to feed the world's population, obviously. Um, but it can be done in a much more sustainable manner and a much more environmentally manner if it's brought on land and put in close containment. Uh, the industry does not want to do this because it is costly and eats into their profits. But there are huge problems in Ireland now with a changing climate for the simple reason that the water has got a little bit too warm here to farm salmon. Salmon are a cold water fish. And as we all know, the oceans around here are warming up. Uh, So you get much more disease. You get uh, swarms of jellyfish now 
which harmed the salmon. You have a relatively new disease, which is amoebic gill disease, which kind of has proliferated since 2010, which kills vast amount of salmon. Just to put it in perspective, as well as that, sorry, you have harmful algal blooms caused by pollution. And once they get into the cages, those fish cannot get away from those. They get issues with their breeding and gill health and whatever. So they die a torturous death. So there are welfare issues there. But, um, you know, the future for salmon farming in Ireland is really, really poor. Like environmentally, they just can't, you know, they just can't um, be allowed to continue. Secondly, um, the mortality rate on some of these farms is probably in the region of 40%. So in other words, if you're putting in five, 600,000 juvenile salmon to be reared for the table, which takes about 14 to 18 months, you're probably losing nearly half those fish. So any other type of farming practice, I mean, it probably just wouldn't be, <laughs> you wouldn't be at the market. You wouldn't be able to sell those fish if, or sell that product if, if half of them were dying of various diseases or various environmental factors. God, it, 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 that's an unbelievable mortality rate, I would have thought. But yeah. not, not all farms now have that, but the majority of them would be 25 to 40% in mortality nowadays. And that's principally down, like it is a lot to do with diseases, but it is principally down to the environmental factors that are in Ireland. Now, we are no longer a cold Atlantic Ocean. We have, you know, temperatures which just do not allow for uh, production of salmon at sea. I mean, that, that's in itself. You know, John, qu- quite obviously, this stuff is very obvious to you and, and your, your specialist interest in it. But it's kind of another indication to well, somebody like me who'd be ignorant to that, to that extent, and I'm, I would guess a lot of other people, all these little separate elements to climate change and how they're manifesting themselves, even as you see, even the warming of the oceans, the impact that's having on uh, salmon farming and by extension, the depletion in wild salmon because of all that going on, it's... Um, God, it, it is a worrying situation, yeah. definitely. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One other thing that I've seen that has become an issue, and that is the water quality in our rivers. Yes, huge. Well, obviously, there was a lot of controversy quite recently with the derogation from the EU uh, in regards to nitrates. The biggest producer of Atlantic salmon juveniles, or the biggest area, geographic area, would be in the southeast of the country, where <laughs> most of the derogation farmers are. So you have all those rivers, uh, there's free draining soils there. So basically all those rivers are highly polluted by nitrates. And um, in effect, uh, you know, that's having a non uh, uh, 
an ongoing effect on salmon productivity in, in freshwater uh, through pollution and whatever. But there's lots of other, you know, there's lots of other factors. I mean, urban water, wastewater is a huge problem. We don't seem to have, we have an aging infrastructure, obviously, in towns and villages around the country. Uh, so they are all adding up to causing uh, freshwater issues for, for wild salmonids. Secondly, there are huge problems uh, in regard to climate, in regard to uh, intensive rainfall events now. Uh, intensive rainfall events do a lot of damage uh, from the point of view of erosion, uh, pollution as such. Uh, they also affect uh, wild salmonids, especially during the winter when the eggs are in the uh, gravels. You know, the intense rainfall does basically shift gravels, and that seems to be becoming more and more common practice in Ireland to have that type of weather. Interestingly, you know, obviously the oceans are warming, warming here, but also our freshwater is warming here uh, to such an extent that we, last year and the year before, we had lethal temperatures for salmonids in a lot of rivers. We also have huge bouts of drought now, especially in the spring when the young fish, the young fish go to sea late April, May, and that has coincided a lot for the last, you know, number of, probably the last decade that you have had very, very low water. And that uh, basically hinders their migration to sea. And this is where predation is coming in now, because you have uh, cormorants and various other avian predators. If the water is very, very low and warm, the young fish tend to be very much delayed uh, in getting to the ocean, and they become uh, very much victims of predation. Uh, especially at man-made weirs in various places like that. So the last number of years, you know, I suppose if you look back on it, there are probably the last four or five years, certainly you've had very, very low conditions in the springtime and mortality, you know, jumps. Some of the studies up in the west of Ireland have noted that in years of dry and warm weather, up to 50% of the juvenile salmon living a, leaving a river don't ever make the ocean. So... That's becoming another issue, you know. And another issue really with the cormorants and various things like that. Uh, salmon are uh, managed, cormorants are protected. You know, so that's a kind of a kind of an issue for us. But obviously the near coast environment is probably not as productive as it was. So it's probably forcing a lot of these birds into freshwater to find food sources. So that's another issue, but it's a, that's a huge issue and a very, very complex issue to do with overfishing and maybe to do with climate as well. But, um, you know, probably there does need to be some sort of predation, basically, that, you know, that it could be managed in some way, especially in rivers where stocks of salmon are, are quite low now. How do we compare to other similar countries who have not necessarily our coastline or whatever, but the UK, for instance, and other countries around the west of Europe, are things better or worse here? Are the authorities here doing more or less? How do we stand in that regard? Okay, well, our nearest neighbour in the UK, okay, you can, you can split it in two, because uh, the salmon stocks in Wales and uh, England, per se, have uh, have declined 
absolutely unbelievably. Uh, salmon stocks in Wales are nearly non-existent, like they are on the east coast of Ireland. Uh, they have alarmingly declined. Scotland was the big bastion of uh, Atlantic salmon up till quite recently, up till the last decade, because generally speaking, you had clean rivers, you had something like the west of Ireland. Unfortunately, in the last five to six years, they have seen a similar decline to us. And uh, some of the big rivers on the east coast of Scotland, like the Tweed and Tay and Spey, which would have been the big tourist and the very, very wealthy rivers, if, if, if a man wants to describe them as that, they have seen their stocks completely and utterly collapse with the resultant uh, tourism industry also collapsing with it. Scotland would have one of the biggest, on the west coast of Scotland, would have one of the biggest fish farming industries in the world. Uh, they're probably third behind Chile and Norway, Norway being the biggest. Norway produces 1.3 or 1.4 million tonnes of uh, farm salmon. Scotland produces about 250,000. And just to put it in perspective, in Ireland, mm. we produce about 12,000 tonnes. So we're yeah. tiny. <laughs> we're really, really small. But where the farms are located here is generally in very, very good areas for salmon and sea trout. So they're having a disproportionate effect. Has there been any discernible effect on tourism in related to uh, angling in that here yet? Absolutely. Um, I'm living here in Cahar Daniel, which is right beside Waterville, and I used to manage the Waterville fishery for about eight or nine years. The angling industry has essentially disappeared here uh, since about 2010, when uh, Maui, the Norwegian-owned company, took over the fish farms here. Um, we have seen a massive decline in the sea trout stocks and salmon stocks, indeed, uh, with the result that basically now you can go on to Loch Coran in the middle of the summer in lovely conditions and see no boat on the lake. Uh, it's just basically abandoned. And uh, we would suggest that that is completely and utterly at the door of the fish farming industry. Uh, but it is sad to see many, many businesses out of, you know, out of business. Unfortunately, countrywide, there seems to be apathy, you know, in relation to this. Um, the angling industry was a very, very sustainable industry, uh, unlike fish farming. But, um, you know, there doesn't seem to be that interest. And this is, you know, it's sad, but um, there are very, very few young people interested in angling per se or interested in fish. You know, it's it's a societal problem. But, um, you know, that industry in Waterville, you know, gave people a very, very good living uh, over maybe 40, 50, 60 years, the last 60, 70 years. It is now, you know, just... You know, it's ridiculously poor. Uh, stocks of fish are very, very small. Uh, the interest from people to come here is, you know, at an at an all time low. You've just raised something in my own consciousness there, John, because you mentioned Loch Coran and going out fishing there. My father had a little punt, and now I'd forget, completely forgotten this. He used to be, I was out in that lake with him many times yes. as a very yeah. small boy. And now that you mentioned it, it was highly popular. Yeah, it would have been, you know, it would have been one of the big international 
destinations for tourism hanging. And, uh, you know, a lot of the hotels were born out of that. Uh, the John A. Mulcahy era, you know, when he came and made those uh, that nice golf course out there, you know, he, he had a huge interest in the angling there. And uh, there was massive, massive tourism there with the Butler Arms Hotel and various hotels around the, around the area. But um, unfortunately, that is not the case now. Can it be brought back? We would contend, yes, it can be brought back, but it needs, you know, it needs drastic action. And that's why, you know, the the fish farming industry is particularly problematic for salmon, but is really, you know, sea trout, which Loch Coran was famous for, it was internationally famous for it and the size of the fish and whatever and the numbers. Basically, they cannot live anywhere near where salmon farming is an industry. Uh, they are really affected. Like just to put it in perspective, the salmon go to sea, uh, the juveniles, and they may spend hours or maybe a few days in the estuary or in the bay that they go out into. Sea trout have to live there for months on end and maybe a year or a year and a half. So they are very susceptible to sea lice and disease. And uh, a lot of those are emanating out of the fish farms and they just don't exist. Just to, you know, from the point of view of research and stuff like that, in the Marine Institute in uh, Burishul, they used to have, um, where they could count all the fish, they used to have two and a half to 3,000 uh, sea trout ascending into Loch Furness and Loch Fia, that, that, that system there, up till the mid-80s. Salmon farming industry started there. And within two or three years, that had gone down to 250 fish. And the only the only change was that there was salmon farming there now. Now it's gone to a situation where probably it's gone from two and a half thousand fish in the late eighties coming into that system. It's gone down to about eighteen to twenty fish. That that has to be laid directly at the floor of salmon farming. There is no other issue in those areas. There's abundance of clean water in those rivers and clean clean ocean systems there. But it's just fish farms all over Coo Bay and various places like that. And the same has happened to every sea trout fishery in uh, the west of Ireland. And indeed Scotland. Scotland is bereft of sea trout now. Just virtually nothing left of the great sea trout fisheries that are on the west coast of Scotland. And that is down to fish farming. The farms went in and within two years the sea trout were gone. John, finally, if I was to ask you, and, you know, like, obviously, <laughs> I get the impression eliminating fish farming would be top of your uh, agenda, but just being realistic for a moment on the basis that with various interests and what have you, that's not going to happen, certainly in the short term. But it, it, just keeping that in mind, is there any particular measure that you feel could go a long way to, at the very least, just arresting the decline to give it some sort of breathing space that we might be able to... Um, to generate more again? Well, obviously, there is still some exploitation going on. Uh, and indeed, there is some commercial exploitation of salmon still in a number of river systems. Now, we don't think that's the best use of uh, a resource to be 
to be harvesting salmon commercially still. And uh, we've only recently, you know, uh, requested government to do something about this and to introduce another scheme to um, basically um, stop any commercial fisheries now, which, which will involve giving them some sort of hardship money or whatever. But there is no future in that commercial exploitation. As well as that, the recreational exploitation uh, where anglers are allowed to take fish is fine. We have absolutely no problem with something that's sustainable. But there's a situation now in Ireland where really we need all the fish or the vast majority of fish to spawn. So harvesting by both commercial and uh, recreational means, you know, will have to be reduced again substantially. Not that that's going to really, you know, is it going to help overall? It probably will help a little bit because we've come from a situation where we were killing probably over a million salmon in this country in the 1970s down to about 15,000 now, 10 to 15,000 now. By reducing that a little bit further, is it going to arrest the situation? No, but we're in a crisis situation now. We need every single salmon to spawn, really. So I suppose reducing exploitation again is going to is going to have to be on the agenda. But I mean, there is a lot of work going on in relation to pollution under the Water Framework Directive, and rivers may improve in the future. So that's, you know, that's another area that really needs to be looked at. But there are situations in the sea and the, you know, the ocean is a big place and salmon may may eventually bounce back in big numbers again. But um, we don't know the complexities of why, why salmon are not returning from, from the ocean. From the point of view of uh, salmon, if a situation did occur here where Years and years and years ago, back in the 80s and whatever, you had probably 20% of the salmon, the, the juveniles, the went to sea returned as adults. Now it's probably in around 25 to 3% in the last two years, certainly. What's happening is the ocean, in the ocean is, you know, it can be confusing and complex, but um, really, you know, it needs to be looked at from the point of view of pelagic fisheries and bycatch and maybe directed illegal fisheries in the international areas. But it's going to be very, very difficult to arrest any of those problems. But just, just come back to your point again, like I mean about fish farming, it's kind of, I've heard it before, it's control the controllables. You know, we can't control everything, but we can certainly control fish farming and we can certainly try and control pollution. So... Basically, there are two things that you can do and exploitation, of course. Absolutely. It's something definitely I think that's going to require a hell of a lot more attention and some political will and uh, hopefully a bit of attention in the media as well because it's something that we definitely have to keep an eye on. John Murphy, John Chair of Salmon Watch Ireland, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, mate. I'd also, as always, like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon, Thank you, folks, for listening. Talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.